Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 137. Today we begin a new series, well actually we began it Wednesday night during the Ash Wednesday service um, that will take us through Lent and there are two thought processes behind this series. One is that it's for school uh, so you all get to learn with me um, and so uh, that's number one but number two is that it seeks to speak to a point of uh, ministry emphasis for us as a congregation uh, as we deal with food insecurity, as we deal with health care, as we deal with the plight of the incarcerated. You'll recall that we also deal with matters of environmental justice. And so this series will deal with matters of environmental justice and how to uh, deal with those and address those in some way um, as uh, believers. It is not comprehensive. Uh, if I could say that I could just all boil it down into six nice complete sermons, I would be lying to you. Uh, in fact, my work is uh, working on a plan for preaching on this subject for an entire year. And so... Uh, you just get one part of it. But it is an urgent need that we must address. And so that is why we are focused. Psalm 137 says this, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to a text that is difficult. We come to a subject that is difficult. And Lord, in those twin difficulties, we recognize our 
supreme need for your grace in this moment, for the power of your Spirit to enable us to hear and to understand. And so, Lord, I pray that that would occur now. That, Lord, we could leave here better enabled to deal with one of the great crises of our time as believers, to extend grace and be the instruments of grace that you have called us to be. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is a psalm in real time. It is experienced by one who has been forced from their home in Jerusalem after the conquering of the Babylonians and has been taken to this far and distant land of Babylon. And there they bitterly lament the loss of their home. But their home is beyond just a structure. Their home is all the other things that accompany home. It's the land, it's the smells, it's the sights, it's the feel of the dirt and the aroma of spring. It's a powerful psalm. And it opens up to us two powerful truths. One is the power of music in our lives, and particularly in how music can take us to places that we have been, but also take us to places that are far from us. In verse 3, he says, For there our captives required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. The songs of Zion where they're in a foreign land and they were minded of home and they, they lament the fact that they are not home. Beloved, do you recognize the power of music to do that in your life? Do you recognize its power to take you to those other places in the distant past? You know, I think of two songs. One is inspired the title for the sermon today. It's Carolina In My Mind, written by James Taylor in 1968, I believe it is, when he was far away from home and homesick. It is the unofficial anthem of our state, and more pointedly, for those of us who spent time on New Hope Chapel Hill, it is the soundtrack of four, or maybe five, maybe six years. I hear that song, and I immediately go back to places that I encountered while I was a student at Chapel Hill. I immediately am carried to a distant place that grows more distant in time. And I can feel it all again once more. For me, another song in that line is by a group that you're probably not familiar with uh, called Smash Mouth. And they sing a song called Walking on the Sun. That was from my time at Chapel Hill as well. And when I hear it come on the radio, I suddenly am trans 
transported. It happens every time I hear it. I am taken immediately to the lobby of Hinton James Dormitory. And I can smell the lobby. Because it seemed like that was the song that was playing on G105 every time. And they, would, they had the same clip into it, it seemed like, every time. They would go, Arbitron rated number one, G105. And then you go right smack into Smash Mouth. And suddenly I'm a sophomore at Carolina again. Music is powerful, beloved. It's why music is powerful in our faith, because it takes us to other places as well. Not just other places in our memory, but other places, period. Places that tells us new things about fresh expressions of life and invites us to experience them. I'm positive that these students who will be coming from Ecuador at some point will sing for us. They will sing the language and the songs of Ecuador. And they will invite us to participate. They will tell us of places we may have never experienced. And suddenly we will be able to go there. Music is powerful. That's why it is so central in our worship. But the other truth found in this text this morning is the power of place to bring us memories, to bring us memories of other places, yes, but above all, the power of place on us. Verse 1 says, by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Can you imagine they're sitting there by the Euphrates maybe, and suddenly their thoughts are cast back to not the Euphrates, but to the Jordan. Maybe to what they did on the Sea of Galilee. Maybe to the high mountains that existed around Jerusalem. It takes them back. And in doing so, it shows us that the places where we have lived, the places where we have been are part of us. Beloved, no matter how hard I try, if I were, and I do try my best to make sure my accent gets where other people can understand it, and I might not eat some of the things that I used to eat, but no matter how hard I try, that rich black dirt of eastern North Carolina is in my veins. The flatness of that land, though I love mountains, the flatness of that land, it just calls to me. It calls to me in such a way that Eliza will tell you that if I cross 95, my accent will change. If I talk to somebody on the other side of 95, my accent will change. Why? Because that place is part of me. It is who I am as an individual. And each of us have those places in our life where it is us. <clears throat> and we can't forget those places. Hence why verse uh, 5 and 6 talk about, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, 
let my right hand forget how to play the lyre. If I forget you, let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. I cannot forget the place. I cannot forget it. And it's why I have to pass it down to other generations after me. The theologian Melanie Harris Jones refers to this as eco memory. We have to pass it down again and again and again and again and talk about how the land was important to us, how it made us. If you talk and you get to know anybody for any length of time, you will hear about how the land where they lived or spent some important part of their life still comes up in conversation and how they want it to be passed down. Lincoln City is a neighborhood on the banks of the Noose River in Kinston. It was where enslaved, formerly enslaved peoples built their homes after the Civil War. Lincoln City flooded multiple times, and as things progressed, it kept flooding. And after Hurricane Floyd, the city of Kinston and the federal government offered to go buy the land of Lincoln City so that these people would not face flooding anymore. And so the people took the buyouts. And they left this neighborhood, which had been a very prominent African-American neighborhood in Kinston. But the land still called to them. And so about 10 years ago, the people of Lincoln City started having reunions each year in a community center just adjacent to their old neighborhood. Beloved, before COVID struck, they were getting thousands of people every year who were connected to Lincoln City flying in from all places around the country to go to that place for that weekend because the land was important. The community and all that needed to be told. The stories needed to be told. That's what the psalmist is saying here. God forbid I ever should forget the land. God forbid I should ever forget where I came from. It is a part of me. And so when we reflect on these two truths, beloved, about the power of song, and more importantly about the power of place to evoke things in us, it raises for us some questions. It raises for us some questions like, what happens when people are forced from their land? That is what is occurring here in this text this morning. Not by this psalmist's choice was were they removed from the land of Jerusalem? No, a conqueror came in and physically took them away, forced them away from their land, forced them away from what it was that God had given to him because really that is part of their whole theological reflection in the land because God gave them the land. It is the promised land. It was the place that they were brought out of slavery to go into. So the land is very much part of them. What happens when that land is taken away. 
Unfortunately, in our nation's history, this has occurred far too many times. It has occurred when early settlers imposed false notions of racial and cultural superiority on the first peoples of this land. It was imposed when enslaved peoples were wrenched from their homes in Africa to serve others' needs in faraway places. The story of Psalm 137 is a story that continues throughout history, and you say, but Mark, it's not happening today, but beloved, yes, it is. If nothing else, it continues very often for these last two groups that I mentioned, the indigenous peoples of this country and African Americans who are being forced from the land that they have called home for hundreds of years because of the climate crisis we are in and humanity's oversized impact on the land. People like the indigenous peoples of Ile de Jaume Charles in Louisiana. Now, you and I probably never been to Ile de Jaume Charles. By the way, that's French for Jaume Charles Island. I have to use that because I say I never used the French I learned at Carolina, so I had to say that. In 1957, that island in the bayou of Louisiana was 35 square miles. Today, it is less than one square mile. Now, to put that in comparison for you, it is as if Manhattan has been whittled down to half of Central Park. Now, think about how large Manhattan is. And think about in 60 years' time, it's become only half the size of Central Park. These people have been forced from their land. It is where this, this tribe of folks who were half Choctaw and half uh, descendants of the Acadians, who, by the way, were forced from their land by the British, and they went and fled down to the bayous of Louisiana, have lived. And now they can't live there anymore because of the changes in the climate. Changes in the climate which have caused over 30-some places that used to exist as bodies of water to no longer exist in South Louisiana because it's now just the Gulf of Mexico. Mark, that's, that's just where it is. Well, beloved, it's over everywhere. It's the people of Princeville, North Carolina, on the banks of the Tar River, who live there because that was the only land that was given to them after the Civil War. And with every bad storm now floods, it's the nation of Kiribati on the, in the South Pacific, which will not exist by the end of this century due to changes in sea levels. Beloved, the phenomenon of people moving all around the globe because of loss of their own homes, loss of their land, loss of their place 
is a growing thing. And by the in just 50, excuse me, 25 more years, we'll number those people will number over 250 million people. What will our response to those people be as Christians? Because that's really the big issue, right? How will we as faithful disciples of Jesus Christ respond to these people who no longer have a home? All around the globe. But if you just want to narrow it down, how will we respond to them who live right here in this country? And who will not have a home, will not have land that they have had forever. Will we be like the people in our text this morning in verse number 3 and taunt them? Oh, Mark, we won't taunt them. Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. We'll say things like, well, if they lived somewhere else, they wouldn't have experienced this. Beloved, sad truth of the matter is that very often that was the only place they had to live. It was the only place they could afford. Or through unjust practices like redlining, it was the only place they could buy. Will we taunt them? Will we say, well, they can just pick up and move? Well, beloved, how easy would it be for you to just pick up and move? Well, I've got this and I've got that. Well, imagine if you don't have this or that. Do you know why we go to Kentucky? We go to Kentucky because there's, they can't pick up and move. They, they're stuck. They, they have no jobs. Or the jobs they do have don't pay enough for them to break the cycles that they're in to get out. And by the way, beloved, you say, well, just sell your house. How can you sell a house, beloved, that's now underwater? We make jokes about that, right? I've got oceanfront property in Arizona. Some country singer made a gold mine off of saying that. It's just not available to them, beloved. So the question for us is, as children of God, as people of grace... As people who are called to love and serve one who came to love and to show what love is, whose very essence is love, will we seek to find equitable solutions for their repatriation and settlement? Will we make room for them? Will we make room for their sorrow and anger? Or will we be dismissive? The end of verse 8 says, Blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Beloved, this is a hard text. This is an angry text. This is a horrible passage. And certainly in no way, shape, form, or fashion do we condone this thought. But at the same time, we must recognize within it a place of intense and raw emotion of sorrow and anger. A place that, a a, a system of emotions that is going on that needs a place where they can be addressed. 
So the question for us is, will we make room for that? Will we allow that? Will we be empathetic to them? And will we provide for them safe places where they can be administered redemptive grace? Mark, they shouldn't think that way. Well, beloved, how often have you said, I'm so mad I could kill them? And if you say, never, I'll be in the back. You can point to some spot in your life where you've experienced that amount of raw anger. You can point to some point in your life where you have experienced that raw sorrow. And you can say, I needed a place. And very often you found that place here. The question is, are we going to provide that place? Are we going to provide a place for them to sing the songs of their land? Are we going to be the place that provides them the bomb of Gilead in redemptive grace who says as a people of hope you right now are hopeless but we will give you hope right now you are broken but we serve a God who is the prince of bringing whole broken places because that's the definition of peace we We'll provide that. Will we be on the front lines of that, beloved? Or we will be behind it? And sadly, the truth of the matter is is that most of the time we will choose to be behind it. Because we will not want to recognize the role that we played in it. Whether silently, such as in verse number 7... Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. The Edomites, beloved, as the children of Israel were trying to flee, to try to find safety, to try to find sanctuary, to try to flee from the yoke of the oppression that was the Babylonians. Tried to run to Edom, and Edom called them and give them into slavery back to the Babylonians. The Edomites who were their brother. The Edomites who were the descendants of Saul. So they are part of, of covenant thought. The Edomites said no. Did they take them into Babylon? No. Did they stand and cheer while it happened? Yes. Beloved, you and I can just be complicit by not saying a word. Or we could be very complicit. We could deal with it directly. Verse 8, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Beloved, I can't number for you. I can number for me the ways I have been directly responsible. But one way or another, complicitly or explicitly, we've played a role in this. If for nothing else, the fact that we have been silent has played a role in this. And so will we seek to change our habits Will we seek to change our habits? Will we demand of 
our government entities to begin addressing urgent needs? Or will we be silent? What do you mean address? I learned something recently. Do you know that in some states in our union, you can have a house to flood and when they... They can put the house together and they, when you buy that house, when they want to sell that house, they don't have to tell you that that house is in a floodplain or floods regularly. It could be in a floodplain, you know it, but they address that. You say, Mark, that doesn't happen. It does. We also, our government from time to time will, will give kickbacks. Well, not kickbacks, but... Uh, allowances for people to build in the floodplain. Mark, that doesn't happen either. Yeah, it does. Let me take you to Richlands, North Carolina, where they redrew the map. And people built houses down what on any other day is a thing that maybe you can get, if it's a real good shower, you can get your ankle wet in a place called Squires Run. But after a hurricane, it floods everywhere. It floods everywhere to the point that my dad, after one recent hurricane, I called and I said, how are you doing? He said, fine. He said, I'm just sitting here watching them run jet skis down by Johnny Broughton's. Squires run. Our town allow them to build there that's not justice beloved that's not loving our neighbor that's not being a people who believe that every life is precious and that Christ died for all and if we believe that our beliefs this I believe we just heard the choir sing Demands our action. Demands us to speak up for these folks. Demands things to change. Oh, Mark, I'm just one person. Beloved, one person can change a whole mess of things. One person brought you from death to life. And you say, well, Mark, that was Jesus. Yeah, but somebody, one person had to tell you. So one person, beloved, can have an overabundance of influence. You say, Mark, I'm old. I'm fading away. I won't live to see how all this plays out. You know what, beloved? This occurs to me. I'm now 46 years old. I'll be 100 in 2078 if I make it I, at this point I'm just trying to make 2025 but do you know who will probably be around in 2078 because she'll be a ripe old 63 about to retire my scout and don't I want the world to be a better place for her don't I want the world to be a better place for her? You say, Mark, I don't have any grandchildren. Fine. 
pick one of ours that you see on Sunday morning. Don't you want it to be a better place for them? And beloved, hear me. Hear me. You say, Mark, what does all this got to do about the gospel? If the church does not begin to address these issues right now and show the world that we care about their plight, the church itself might not exist on this continent at least in 2078. The book of James says, what good is it if I tell a man to be well if I talk to him about the issues of faith but I don't meet his immediate need that's rough translation this is the immediate need of the hour beloved this is the immediate need we are called to this task we are called to make the day where Psalm 137 is not sung by people who have lost their land. We are called to make right the wrongs that have generated Psalm 137 in someone else's life. We are called to it because this is the fulfillment of what Jesus told us was one of the greatest commandments. What is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your being. And the second is like unto it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so, beloved, this is loving our neighbor. Will we do it? Let's pray. Gracious God, this is a tough subject. It's a subject most of us haven't given any thought to. And Lord, I, I recognize all that. So maybe what it is that we're compelled to do is to learn more about it. And I pray that we would. But Lord, help us to see the urgent need of this hour and to respond as believers, as Christ followers. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abound.